With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. And welcome to the Bleacher Connection with your host, Ken and Trevor, a part of the Unhinged Sports Network and proud partners of Fubo TV and Lids. As always, you can find us on Twitter. Trevor is at the BleacherCon1, and I am at the BleacherCon2, and our Facebook page, the Bleacher Connection Podcast. And on this week's episode, we're going to do quite a bit of hockey talk with, uh, with everything that's going on. We're going to have our weekly That's Offside segment and our weekly Are You Kidding Me? And then with the Toronto Maple Leafs playing the Edmonton Oilers this week a couple of times, we decided we were going to have a debate. Who's better, Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid? And then with the quarter or the NHL season being about a quarter over, we're going to take a look and see you know, some of the surprises from around the NHL what's caught our eye and what's been positive, what's been negative so far in the league. Before we get going, though, Ken, do you remember what happened 11 years ago today? That I do. 11 years ago today, 2010, uh, Winter Olympics were in Vancouver, and there was a, uh, I believe there was a hockey game today. There was a gold yeah. medal game. You're right. Yeah, there was a semi-important hockey Semi, game. Semi-important game, now known as the Golden Goal was scored 11 years ago by Sidney Crosby. And I know uh, I, I was sitting in my living room on the couch watching that game happen uh, probably mere, you know, a little over an hour away, if that, uh, by car uh, down in uh, pretty much downtown Vancouver. It was uh, it was quite the game to watch, a lot of excitement, and uh, Canada brought home another gold on home, home soil. Yeah, what I'll remember about that game most is my daughter – was barely a year old barely and we were over at some at some friends places just watching the game and you know my my daughter was just strapped in in the car seat and when that goal went in me and the group of friends we were just up and jumping and yelling and screaming and next thing my daughter just starts howling and it's like there's a reality check moment right there where it's like, oh yeah, I'm a dad. <laughs> shh, shh, keep it down, guys. But no, it was one of the one of the greatest moments in Canadian sports history. I think that's pretty safe to say. Uh, right up there with Paul Henderson scoring, and and it was just an amazing, amazing moment. I know heading into the Olympics, uh, there was a general mentality around the, the entire Olympics that it didn't matter how it went for the rest. As long as the Canadian men's hockey team won the gold medal, all would be forgiven and everybody would think it was a, a successful Olympics. And to me, actually, I, I felt like both Canada, the men's and women's team needed to win gold medal. And they did. And it, that made it a successful Olympics. But further to that, that was actually the most successful Olympics by Canada in general. And it kind of put us on the map for winter sports as being true competitors in the national scene. I think we ended up taking home, I'm going to say 10 to 12 gold medals. And I'm really just going off the top of my head here, but it was in general, just a very successful Olympics start to finish and, and well done Vancouver and well done Canada. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. I got to go down to where a lot of the stuff downtown was happening at the time. I had a little free time on my hands. So I, I went down there and it was really fun to just be part of that atmosphere and be downtown when, and you would see the athletes walking around. I think I, I managed to cross the street with uh, the, well, it was the Finnish uh, women's hockey team. They were right there. And it was just really cool to see everything set up 
they had uh, science world was the the russia house and it was really cool and very good experience I, i remember watching that game on tv and when it went in i was celebrating so hard but then at the same time i went no it was Crosby that scored because I, I felt that Olympics was so hyped for everything he did and he played well, but he definitely wasn't one of the, I think the top players for team Canada at that time. But I just remember like everything, it was like, we'll go look at these players back to Crosby, these players back to Crosby, these players. It was almost like it was team Crosby and the Canadians. And that was the one thing I just kind of took away from that. But I mean, you can't take away the gold medal from, from the team. It was a great game. His goal was set up by Jerome Aginla, which I know you would have been very happy about that. Of course. Well, if you don't like that fixating on one player only for Team Canada, I highly suggest you probably don't watch the next, uh, what's it, 2022 or Olympics? Because I believe there's a certain player in Edmonton that's not your favorite that may garner a lot of attention. <laughs> so well, if you didn't like it, then you might just want to tune out the, the next Olympics as well. Yeah, well, well, McDavid at least will get a chance to, to win something in an important uh, tournament. The Oilers don't necessarily get there in the playoffs. So there was also another uh, incident that happened this week. And this one it is actually kind of relates back to our goat talk from the last couple of episodes that we've done. And this person being in the conversation and, and earlier this week, Tiger Woods was involved in a, a car crash. Thankfully, he's he's alive. Thankfully, he's alive. Hopefully, he has a uh, recovery. I'm I'm as pessimistic as to whether he'll ever golf again, but I think that's not the most important thing here. But to Tiger Woods, this guy to me is is the greatest golfer of all time. I know there's a comparison between Jack Nicklaus and Tiger Woods. Tiger in his career had 82 PGA victories and he had 15 major victories. Jack Nicklaus had 73 wins, but he had 18 major titles. But to me, Tiger Woods just made golf cool again. It it had kind of fallen off the map. And then all of a sudden he came along and it exploded. And I don't think it's slowed down since golf is kind of the recreation sport of choice now across North America. And it might even be across the world. It's amazing what this guy has done for the sport. And I'm, I'm thankful that he, everything's he escaped with his life because this could have been another tragic, terrible in memoriam type scenario. And and I'm happy it's not. Yeah. It it was a uh, ugly scene. Uh, When you look at it, no, you don't want to say, you know, you're glad anything about a car accident, but it was a single car. He was hurt very badly. And as you said, he may not play again. And it's very unfortunate that, you know, injuries had started his decline. And it's very unfortunate that now a car accident may end his career because he did have major surgery. I believe it was on his right leg. The injuries were quite bad. They had to use the jaws of life. So it's it's definitely an unfortunate incident and glad he's uh, alive and well. I know, I think they said he's in pretty good spirits right now. And the, uh, the PGA today, uh, as we record on Sundays, they are uh, wearing red, red uh, golf shirts and black hats today in honor of Tiger, which is pretty cool because that was his Sunday tradition. Have you had a chance to watch the the Tiger documentary yet? I haven't. It is on my list because I know uh, you you and Jeff were talking about that, and it, it definitely does seem very interesting. I I enjoyed the Last Dance, the Michael Jordan one, so I think you know it's probably right up in that alley. It's kind of nice to hear the stories leading in behind the uh, some of the best athletes in the world. Yeah, it's it's very good uh, for anybody who hasn't watched it. I, I highly recommend it. It's very very good. Again, it, it's very, it has an agenda that it's trying to get across. I'll admit to that. There's definitely a lot of play on the relationship between his parents. And again, you don't know how much of that is fact and how much of it is made for TV entertainment, but just some of the behind the scenes and kind of the rise and fall of Tiger Woods with all of his personal issues and, and drug addictions and stuff that came on later on, it, 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 
Tiger Woods was human in, in this documentary in a way that we had never seen before, because to be brutally honest, when he played golf, he was more of a machine than anything. And it's very good. And I know later on in his career, he's, he's become a mentor to some of the younger golfers and they just love, love playing with Tiger Woods. He'll tell stories. He'll, he'll joke and shoot the breeze with the guys in a way he never did before. So I, I commend Tiger Woods a lot for kind of how he's, the back half of his career has gone. And I hope one day we get to see him compete on the champions tour. But again, I'm not very optimistic on that, on that front. Yeah. It's uh, right now. It's just mostly hoping you know, full recovery and he gets to go on with his life in as, as normal way as possible and continue on enjoying what he's built. And at this point, it's not about him golfing again. It's about him recovering. And I'm not, I'm not trying to act selfishly in any way. I understand that. I just on a personal level would love to see him golf again, but that isn't what's important. And I think people understand that. Oh yeah. Yeah. So with the talk of Tiger Woods, that's going to lead us into that's offside brought to you by our partners at Lids Canada. Uh, Click on the link in our Twitter bio link tree for your exclusive offer of great savings on apparel for your favorite team. And Ken, that's offside for this week. Actually, you sent me an article and it's somewhat related to Tiger Woods. So why don't you run away with this and kind of bring the listeners up to speed? Yeah, so the Tiger's accident was February 24th. Two days after on driving.ca, there was an article written that pretty much said there is no such thing as accidents when it comes to driving a vehicle. It specifically talked about the Tiger Woods accident. And, and we'll call it what it is because an accident is an accident. When you say a car accident or a single vehicle accident, it, it is that because 99.9% of the time, people do not get behind the wheel with the intent to cause harm to themselves or someone else. Uh, so far, there has been no indication, no reports that uh, Tiger Woods was impaired, distracted, anything like that. So to say that there was any kind of intent or actions done to cause this, I, we, we don't know. Like, There's no, as of this morning, I saw that there, there is no charges. The, the police, the sheriffs, they've looked into it. They're, they're calling it what, it what it is, an accident. We don't know what happened because Tiger was the only one in the vehicle. There were no other people around. So right now you have to go on what he has, he has said, and he doesn't have a lot of recollection of the accident. And, and I think this article was really offside about it because, you know, you read it, Trevor, and you said they're not really saying anything that's too wrong in it. In that they say like, you know, most accidents are caused by being distracted, not paying attention, potentially not being ready to be, be behind the wheel. And that's, that, that is true. There is a lot of things that go into uh, operator error that could cause an accident. But again, you call it an accident because if it's, that's usually what you call something with no intent. What I really found offside about this article was it was two days after Tiger Woods had to be taken out of the vehicle by the jaws of life, have, I believe, multiple major surgeries to repair the damage, and he is still laid up in a hospital recovering. The timing of this article by driving.ca was just, for me, completely offside. And that's what it is. You can have those thoughts. You can have those opinions. You can say that you shouldn't call uh, anything involving a, a vehicle where, you know, there's a crash, whatever, an accident, fair enough. But pick and choose your times. Obviously, they are looking for the clicks. They're looking for whatever to grow their site business, whatever they're doing. I just thought the timing was pretty insensitive because there is nothing to say that this wasn't just something that went wrong. The car is so damaged. If there was vehicle, you know, malfunction, the the brakes went or something, we don't know because the cars don't have little black boxes that you can pull and figure out what happened. Maybe they do nowadays. I don't know a lot about vehicles, but I just thought it was kind of insensitive. Yeah, there was very little empathy and compassion towards the fact that somebody almost lost their life. Uh, some parents or some children almost lost their dad. You know, we're talking about a family here. We're not talking about a professional athlete. Like we, we almost had a tragic incident where a family lo- almost lost a member of their family because of it. So to me, I, again, and I said this to you off the air, what was in the article wasn't necessarily wrong, 
but the timing of it definitely was. That's going to lead me to another quick point on just kind of clickbait media in general, because that's kind of what I think this is. More and more, we see that in, especially on social media platforms, such as Twitter, Facebook, where every sports market and apparently every market in general, the the automobile industry has clickbait media. I don't like it. I think it's it's incorrect and it, it's tugging at the emotions of your viewers, readers, listeners, whatever. And it's it's potentially dangerous because it's it's talking about things that may not actually be correct. I know in in our local media markets for Sportsnet, both of our cities have clickbait media personalities in them. And some of the stuff that they put out is disappointing, to be brutally honest. And I'm actually on Twitter right now. A few of these personalities are getting roasted. And you know what? Rightfully so. Like, stop writing articles based on shock value to try to draw people in and maybe start writing articles based on what readers want to read and are interested in, not not about whether, you know, Johnny Goudreau should get traded from the Calgary Flames, but why don't you write an article about Johnny Goudreau playing well for the Calgary Flames this year? I'm sick and tired of clickbait media, and this article drove that home. And, you know, that's actually a really terrible analogy. This article really uh, emphasized that because that's exactly what I thought it was. And I was going to talk about this this, um, topic no matter what today, and you sending this to me just reinforced it. I hate it. And this article is offside and clickbait media is offside. The, the problem with clickbait, clickbait media now is that everybody wants to be the first. Everyone wants to have their take, be the first one that's seen so that they get the credit. The other problem with it, though, is if you've got, just for numbers, if you've got 30 people that dislike and don't want to see the clickbait media and they'd rather hear the actual facts and things behind like you say we'll use johnny goudreau still like goudreau playing well as opposed to eric francis trying to drive him out of the the city of calgary the problem is for the 30 that know that it's clickbait and the information in it is probably garbage there is 10 times that number of people that are clicking on it reading it and either reacting and driving it further because for, the, for every click that they get, for every person that engages with that author on the clickbait article, all that's doing is bringing more in on whether ad clicks, things like that. And it gives them more to write about because they're getting to the people and they're going to continue doing it. If you see that article and you realize this is garbage, this is clickbait, and you don't open it, then chances are they're going to start going away if they don't get the reaction they're looking for. Yeah, I can't disagree with anything that you've said there. Let us know what you guys think. What's your thoughts on Tiger Woods? Is he the greatest of all time in golf? And what what do you guys like about or like or don't like about clickbait media? We'd love to hear from you on Twitter at the BleacherCon1, at the BleacherCon2, or on our Facebook page, The Bleacher Connection. So moving into our first topic of the week, and with the Edmonton Oilers play playing the Toronto Maple Leafs a couple times this week for a battle for first place in the Northern Division in the NHL. The topic is rampaging, especially through local Toronto media. Who's better, Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid? Ken, I'm going to let you take this one. Well, I think it's funny. I mean, you're, you're comparing two players who are probably at the top of the list of current top great players in the league right now. It, fan bases are very passionate. Your, your Calgary Flames fan base is very passionate. My Vancouver Canucks fan base is very passionate. Same with the Oilers, the Leafs, every single one of them is passionate. But I think sometimes the realistic measurements are tossed out the window. For me, these are two players that are not separated that much, really, in their talent levels. They both excel at the game of hockey. They both, I would say, in a way, do some things better than the other. I I, I saw some stuff on, on Twitter this weekend where... The comparisons, they, someone was trying to fill up a, a bucket or a colander or something with it, obviously it had holes in it, trying to, waiting to fill it up to so that Matthews was as good as McDavid. And of course, it was never going to get there 
or and just the references and how passionate they are going at it. it it's fun to see the fan bases go but i think realistically you're talking about guys who are not far away from each other you're not talking about mcdavid and sam bennett or mc Matthews and Jake for and you're talking about two of the greatest players in the league right now that are so exciting to watch. Why don't, why can't we just sit back and enjoy it without having out having to say, you know, well, my guys leaps and bounds ahead of yours. And like, not, no, not really. Like they're, they're, they're very close. Uh, if you want to look at the season points right now, McDavid has 40 Matthews has 31 Matthews has played three less games they're all good guys. Like let's, these guys are the top guys in the league, but I think it's, I think it's great to see the passion and the going back and forth. Unfortunately, Matthews didn't play in last in the first game of the series. So you didn't get that first comparison, but I'm sure we'll, we'll get it again, hopefully soon. And I don't know if Matthews, Matthews is on pace to do something very special this year. If the, that wrist injury doesn't derail it too much. Uh, he was on pace to potentially get 50 goals in a 56 game season which is uh, hasn't been done in a very long time. Yeah, you brought up the points. Matthews scores 1.55 points a game, and McDavid scores 1.74 points a game. So they're quite similar in that. Uh, I personally, I would, I guess, have to lean towards Connor McDavid being the better player. I just think he has more of an ability to just absolutely take over a game and own it and win a game single-handedly. But that is by no means a slight on Austin Matthews. Austin Matthews, and I said this might have been last week or the week before, on I think it was two for chirping, I said he's the best goal scorer in the NHL right now. Well, I don't know about you, I'd take that on my team in a heartbeat. Uh, yeah. I, a guy known as the best goal scorer in the league? Uh, yes, please. They're both dominant players, can take over games. Again, McDavid's speed, I think, puts him on a level above anybody else just because it, it's sick what that guy can do at such high speeds. And it, it, I hate that he does it in Edmonton Oilers Jersey, cause it's almost not fair. And I hate that Austin Matthews is doing what he's doing in a Toronto Maple Leafs Jersey. Cause that's pretty gross too. Uh, you just said it, it's fun to watch. Well, I would disagree with that because both the Leafs and the Oilers having success isn't exactly fun for me. Well, but, both years it's not a big deal, but when you're all when every Canadian team's grouped in the same division, it, it's 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 fun when it's not against one of our teams. Let's go with that. It's fun when it's against someone else. Unfortunately, it hurts our teams in the standings more this year. Yeah, it, it wasn't fun when McDavid put up a five spot last Saturday against my Calgary Flames, but it no. just that that kind of reinforced the how good he is. He went from no points in the night before to being kind of actually invisible for Connor McDavid standards to bl blowing it away and being like, yeah, don't forget I'm here. And it's just like, it's amazing what this guy can do and what both guys can do. I actually got to see Austin Matthews play the next two games against the Calgary flames. And unfortunately he did kind of re-aggravate the injury in the second game. But again, he, he didn't light up the score sheet, but he was a constant threat every time he's on the ice and I just, I look at these players and, and I go, man, I wish I had one of these on my team. Now, would you say for me, I look at Matthews of a more of a consistent player than McDavid, because you brought it up. There's been a couple times, well, maybe more than a couple this season and in the past where Connor McDavid goes games with zero points. The Edmonton Oilers have only won two games in the last three years where McDavid and Dreisaitl go pointless. If Matthews goes pointless, the Leafs still win. But I would say Matthews is more consistent in putting points on the board and producing than McDavid. Because McDavid, yes, has 40 points right now. But he also goes several games without and then puts up a three, a four, or a five-point game to even out that points-per-game momentum. McDavid has 509 points in 374 games. That's just incredible. That's a, that's a huge number. Very good. Congratulations on that. That's a massive career stat. Austin Matthews has played 302 games, has 316 points, and he will probably get to 500 in under 500 games. They both, here's, here's a stat, they both have 176 career goals. 
McDavid, where he is ahead, has 333 assists, 140 for Matthews. Here's a stat that I want to bring up where I would say that Matthews is potentially closer to McDavid than some would like, and maybe in this way, ahead of McDavid. Austin Matthews has not missed the playoffs in his career. Now, that being said, one of those years last season, 1920, was the play-in. Still technically qualifies as a playoff stat in games. But still, he has not missed the playoffs in his career. Now, the playoff success has not been there. They haven't really gotten out of the first round and, and such. But they're going. Which means his team is in the playoff hunt. They would have gone to the playoffs last year. They had to play in the play, play in and they lost. But they would have made an actual one through eight playoffs last year where the Oilers may not have. Austin Matthews has played 25 games in the playoffs. McDavid has only gone to the playoffs twice, 2016, 17, where they did play two. They go to the, went to the second round. They then last season, 1920 played in the play in. They weren't guaranteed a playoff spot at the time because the, uh, the division in the uh, was so the conference was so tight. They may have made it in. They may have missed. We don't know, but he's only been in 17 games in the playoffs. I don't know. I think, you know, Matthews has been more successful in getting, helping his team get to the playoffs where McDavid hasn't. See, I think that's a little bit more of an, an indictment on the teams built around these players. Uh, even in last night's game, Austin Matthews didn't play and the Toronto Maple Leafs shut out the Edmonton Oilers for nothing. So to me, it's more that I think Austin Matthews just has had a better team assembled around him than Connor McDavid here's how I look at it. If you were to take Austin Matthews off the Toronto Maple Leafs and Connor McDavid off the Edmonton Oilers, one of those teams is still probably going to make the playoffs and the other isn't. Edmonton isn't anywhere near the playoffs without Connor McDavid on that roster. So when you're actually talking about who's the better player, I think Connor McDavid is, and I actually think he is by quite a bit. The numbers are somewhat even, but I think Connor McDavid is by far the better player but Austin Matthews has more around him, which gives him a little bit more, I think, team success. So I somewhat agree with the argument, but I think that's more an indictment on Peter Shirelli and, and uh, who's the current? Ken Holland. Ken Holland. Wow. I think that's more of an indictment on Shirelli and Holland than it is on, uh, say, Kyle Dubas in Toronto putting together a better team. But it, both of these guys are top of the class, along with Nathan McKinnon, uh, in my opinion, Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin. These guys are the best players in the league. David Pasternak, like we're splitting hairs here. Like I would take any of those guys I just mentioned on my team in a heartbeat. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl, another one. Like I don't know if there is an outright winner here. I personally lead towards Connor McDavid, but. Either one, I would happily take. Yeah, I, I don't know. I look at it too as I think, you know, you talk about the guys around Matthews, but like they're they're good players, but does Matthews actually, is he more successful in helping them be better than McDavid making others around him better? Like he obviously helps make Leon Dreisaitl a lot better. I don't know. He helped James Neal score 20 goals last year. If that's not making players around you better, I don't know what is. I mean, to be fair, James Neal's done that for the majority of his career, though. He did that before, right? I think, I, and it's not, again, we're splitting hairs and we're, we're looking for things, but I do think that for McDavid being one of the, like, you look at Gretzky, because everyone wants to say, you know, talk to Goat and what they did. Gretzky made the other players around him better as well, too. You know, on a, a, I, I'm saying this, so don't take me as putting them in that category as goats. But if you want to look at Vancouver Canuck, some of the greatest ones, the Sedins around them made the players around them better. They were able to make others they played with elevate their game. Whereas I, I sometimes don't, I see a very individualistic type with McDavid where he's obviously the best, but that does that something transcend throughout the team. Does everyone else see that and try and push themselves to, try and at least get somewhere near the top of that pedestal where he is for talent wise. 
not many will, but at least if you try to get there, you should be elevating your game in a way. So let us know what you guys think. Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid, or somebody else. Reach out to us on Twitter at the BleacherCon1, at the BleacherCon2, or message us on our Facebook page, The Bleacher Connection. We'd love to hear who would you guys most want to have on your team. All right, so that's going to take us into our next segment, which is Are You Kidding Me? Uh, we definitely have uh, enjoyed doing this one. It kind of gives us a, a chance to look at some stories and kind of either, you know, scratch our head or have a laugh over uh, what's going on. So, Trevor, why don't you start us off? Well, in the scratch my head category and in the I didn't see this one coming category, I'm going to stick on the theme of the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, do I have to? I guess so. I'm going to stick on this theme, and I got to go Mike Smith. He's 6-1 and one with a 2.04 goals against average and a 9.34 save percentage this year since coming back from injury. Are you kidding me? Really? This guy was left for dead, essentially. He, his career was over in Calgary two years ago. He didn't do much with the Oilers last year. He... Those last two seasons, he played to a high twos goals against average and roughly a 900 or sub 900 save percentage, which for those listeners, that's not good. Average goaltending is a 912 save percentage is, is considered acceptable and kind of mid twos. So Mike Smith was playing well below that. And this year, all of a sudden, since coming back for injury, has lit a house, the house on fire. The Oilers went from essentially five and seven and, and kind of in the middle of the Canadian division, and they've won eight of their last 10 games, and they're now fighting for first place. And, and a lot of that has to do with, with the goaltender. And I'm dumbfounded because I know I laughed when, when the Edmonton Oilers re-signed him for more than league minimum in the off season. And I'm just like, what are they doing? Are you kidding me? And not going to lie. Didn't see this one coming. Well, don't forget. He also lost the, the starting job to a guy who can't make a glove save. Even if you had an oversized goalie glove, there's talk like obviously the, again, the passionate oiler fans and every fan base, they're talking to him for heart already. And it's like, guys, he's six games in. He had a overextended off season because the Oilers got bounced in the playoff after the play-in round. He was, he's been injured for the first almost 20 games of the season. So it's early. He's had a great start. The question is, can Mike Smith keep it up? Will he continue on that pace? And I don't think he will. Uh, maybe I'll give the Oilers a little bit of credit. They're playing better team defense. And I actually was shocked. I looked at some stats on this weekend and Leon Dreisaitl's plus 12. That's actually almost unheard of. Connor McDavid, I know we were just talking about him. He's actually a plus player this year. Historically, these two have been minus players in the past and actually quite significant minus players. The Oilers are playing good hockey. They're playing team hockey. Mike Smith isn't necessarily having to stand on his head. Uh, he is. Uh, I'll give him that credit. Uh, I'm not sure he's going to sustain it, but I'm also, I don't think he's going to go back to that goalie that the sub 900 save percentage goalie. If he provides that team league average goaltending, they're going to be a force to reckon with. And I can see him doing that because the team is playing a lot smarter and better structured in front of them. So it, it's not out of the realm of possibilities. Yeah. And with the rate that the Canadian division is scoring, any player being a plus is kind of a head scratcher right now. Yeah, no kidding. All right. For, for first thing that I kind of wanted to bring up, and are you kidding me, happened Saturday night in a game against the St. Louis Blues and San Jose Sharks. Jordan Bennington got yanked yet again after giving up four goals on 19 shots, I believe it was. And as he went to the St. Louis bench to get the, you know, the news obviously that he's done for the night and hit the showers in just a little side note in San Jose, the, the goalie, the backup goalie or the one that gets pulled in this case, Bennington doesn't actually sit on the bench because the benches are only designed for the skaters and there's no tunnel at the back of it. They actually have to go 
cross ice into the corner and sit in a tunnel, you know, a hundred some odd feet away from the rest of the team, which for the rest of the St. Louis blues is probably a good place to put Jordan Bennington. He essentially threw a tantrum on ice last night and he skated to the bench, got whatever news from the coach. He then started to skate to the corner and shoved a pan or not Panthers player, a San Jose sharks player in the chest, trying to get him to go. That was the first one skates to the uh, San Jose sharks blue line, pushes another player quite high and almost got his uh, paddle of a stick up in his face, but pushes him and tries to go. That was Eric Carlson. Oh, uh, Carlson. Yeah. He skates right up to Dubnik who's essentially just standing outside of his crease and then shoves him like he wants to go and have a fight. Are you kidding me, Bennington? Get off the ice. You are such a poor sport. I am tired of hearing about you and your antics. You are a flash-in-the-pan goaltender who got hot at the right time. And yes, you led your team to the Stanley Cup. Yes, you won the Stanley Cup. But guess what? Your play didn't even put you on that team at the beginning of the season. The only reason you came up in that year you won the Cup is because your team sucked. You had goaltending <laughs> issues, and that is why you got a chance. Your play did not put you there. The fact that the St. Louis Blues were dead last at the time and had no goaltending is why you were there. Stop acting like you are Patrick Waugh, Martin Brodeur, Ken Dryden, or any of the other great goaltenders in the NHL, because you are not. Your numbers in your second season were not great. You lost the net multiple times to Jake Allen. You lost the net in the playoffs. You were a dud in that series against the Canucks. You like to go on Twitter when teams give up eight goals and you're saying, if you give up eight goals, you shouldn't be in the league. Well, you turn around and do it yourself on multiple occasions. Are you kidding me? Play the game, stay quiet and stop throwing a tantrum when you crap the bed. It's dumb. Just knock it off. You are such a waste. He is. I can't stand Jordan Bennington. I can't, I don't know if you can tell or not, but he is just poor me, crybaby. He lost a Calder to Elias Pedersen, and he sat there like sulking like he was robbed of it. Ryan, uh, Ryan O'Reilly made a comment up there about him being the true Calder. Come on, man. You played 30 games in the year. Give it up. Well, to our listeners out there, if you really want to know how Ken feels about Jordan Bennington, you now know. Uh, what I think is funny about this story was apparently Devin Dubnik, as he was skating towards him, Dubnik more or less said to him, get off the light, the ice, you loser. And that's pretty much what he said to him. And Bennington went over and popped him one. You know what? Good on Dubnik. It was, it was ridiculous. My wife doesn't even watch hockey. And we, uh, we actually happened to have this come on last night as we were just about ready to, to go to bed. And she saw it and she goes, the hell was that and she found it actually quite humorous but he's kind of like what are you doing man this is just stupid you look like 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 ken just said you look like a crybaby so get over yourself you're not that good and it was almost a black eye like you seriously looked like a whiny crybaby so good on you ken i'm with you i'm not the biggest jordan bennington fan either and it was humorous but it was also silly I, I hope he gets a call from the league because he he's out of the game. He's done. He's supposed to be just off the ice and he's trying to start a fight with three guys. Like take a look. If that was Matthew Kachuk, Antoine Roussel, Brad Marchand, they'd be suspended, but it's a goaltender. So we'll see what happens. I, I, it, it, he's such a joke in my opinion. Yeah. He'll be praised for fiery passion. Yeah. So the next thing that really caught my eye this week and, I just don't see a scenario where this happens. The fact that it's even being talked about is, are you kidding me? And that's some trade rumors surrounding Toronto Raptors guard, Kyle Lowry. There's no way the Toronto Raptors are going to trade Kyle Lowry to a, a contender this year. First of all, the Raptors after starting the season two and eight, have now managed to climb their way to fourth in the Eastern Conference. Just last week, they took two games from the Milwaukee Bucks and one from the Philadelphia 76ers. So 
if there's a belief that the Toronto Raptors aren't at least somewhat contenders in the Eastern Conference, it, it, they are. So why are they going to trade their heart and soul for the and to give a chance at a championship when he essentially already has a chance at a championship? I'm not saying the Toronto Raptors are going to go out and win a championship, but they have just as good a chance as some of the other top teams in the East of getting there. And so why, why are we even talking about this? This guy is loved in the city of Toronto. I would actually put him up there with Austin Matthews as some of the most loved athletes in the city of Toronto. He recently delivered his team a championship and they're talking about putting statues of him out front of the Air Canada Centre or Scotiabank Centre or whatever it's called now in Toronto. Zero, zero, less than zero chance. Kyle Lowry gets traded this season from the Toronto Raptors to an NBA contender. I know his contract's up. I, I surely see him re-signing on a team-friendly one-year deal unless the Philadelphia 76ers come and break the bank for him in the offseason, but Kyle Lowry is the Toronto Raptors, and this trade talk is foolish. I'll, I'll reference something we've talked about in the past, and uh, I know uh, one of us may have been slightly a little more right than the other on it, but is this a, potentially a Zidane Chara part two, where you look at it going, his contract is up in the offseason. Maybe he said, maybe there have been talks, and it doesn't look like they can re-sign him. So do you move on from him? an aging player earlier and try and get something to help. And maybe they, they're looking at going, okay, we're, we're beating these guys now, but can we do it when it counts? Are we going to make a deep run and then get lose Kyle for nothing? Do they look at a trade now to, to do that? That's just me playing the other side of the coin. See what happens when it comes down to uh, pen to paper for a contract. One of the shocking things, stats though, and this would kind of support the trade Kyle Lowry crowd in the Raptors tenure with, with Lowry in the lineup, they're actually 19 and one in games that he doesn't play, which I thought was on an unbelievable stat. And that one loss actually just happened last week. They were 18 and zero at one point without Kyle Lowry in the lineup. So it can be done. It can be done. I'm, I'm not saying it can't be. I just, the guy's the heart and soul. I have a hard time seeing it happen. But if they are more looking towards the future, then you know what? Maybe maybe it is the right move. And they've, they've shown that they can win. You know, Fred Van Vliet, my favorite player in the NBA, steps up big time when Kyle Lowry is out of the lineup and takes over games. So it's not out of the realm of possibility this team could still be very good without Kyle Lowry, but I just, in the, the loyalty of a guy towards a franchise, I just, I can't see it. If he wants to leave in the off season for personal reasons, then let him do that. I think trading him, let him have one more run with the group he's with and then, then move on. Yeah. Well, my last, are you kidding me? Is we've, we've had, I think every team play in their, in the NHL play in their reverse retro jerseys. Some are better than others. But uh, a stat that came out after the Vancouver Canucks and Florida Panthers went winless so far in their reverse retros. And I know at least in uh, Canuck Twitterverse, they are already dubbing these jerseys to be uh, cursed because we didn't even, I don't think we got, we got a couple goals in them, but we got no wins. And it was almost like every time the Canucks tweeted out saying that, you know, they'd be giving away a jersey every, every time a goal was scored and, in those games, they got shut out. So the Canucks fans are already uh, dubbing the jerseys cursed. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? It's not the jerseys. I don't, I don't think they, they could have gone out in their practice sweaters and the results still would have been the same. The Canucks are not having a very good season uh, as it stands right now. And uh, the Panthers, well, I mean, the Panthers are are doing fairly well. So I don't think you could put the, that on the jerseys. I think uh, – We'll see what happens if they get a chance to wear them again, if they can actually put a W on the board. But yeah, are you kidding me, guys? The, it's not the jerseys that are cursed. Well, I'm going to save my Canucks and Panthers talk for the next segment because I'm pretty sure they're both going to come up in in our surprises so far. Um, you brought up a point about the Canucks wearing their practice jerseys. Uh, I think the Canucks could have worn their 
novice and Adam jerseys and uh, still looked about the same as they have recently on the ice. Uh, it has nothing, nothing to do with the jerseys that they're wearing and more to do with the product on the ice. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think they've actually had a chance to wear their practice jerseys a lot this year. So it, uh, they may have to squeak them in there a bit. Well, let us know what you think on the, are you kidding me? Uh, what do you, what are your guys thoughts on uh, Mike Smith, Jordan Bennington, Kyle Lowry and the, uh, the Canucks reverse retro curse. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at the BleacherCon1, at the BleacherCon2, or our Facebook page, the Bleacher Connection Podcast. So, we and the network, uh, the uh, Unhinged Sports Network, have partnered with Fubo TV. What is Fubo TV? Fubo TV brings you 100 plus channels, including NBC, CBS, Fox, ABC, ESPN, and more, without the hassle of a cable contract. If you don't believe us, head on over to our Twitter bios, go on our link trees. Click the link for Fubo TV and you can start your seven day trial now. Well, Ken, the NHL season is a little order, little over a quarter over now. And most teams have played, well, minus the Dallas Stars, most teams have played roughly 20 to 25 games. And we talked about this on Two for Chirping a couple of weeks ago, but I wanted to continue this, this talk on the Bleacher Connection. Ken, what are some of the surprises from around the NHL? I'm going to. I'm going to kick it off with a team we were just talking about who I think is one of the biggest surprises around the league. And that's the Florida Panthers. They're currently 13, four and three and second in the central division. They've had a goalie come out of nowhere in Chris Dreger, who's seven and two with a two eighteen goals against and a nine twenty eight save percentage. This is in my opinion, so far the story of the NHL. Uh, this is amazing. The, the Panthers were, a bottom of the division team last year, you know, barely on the playoff bubble, didn't make it to the play-ins. And now they're looking like a legit contender. I love it. The Florida Panthers, and I've said this before, the Florida Panthers are what I think the Calgary Flames should be, and they're not. So uh, it's a great story. I'm jealous, but I'm excited for these guys. This is great. Well, I think what I think is good about this is the Florida Panthers – being nine games over 500, being an actual team in the mix in that conference is good for hockey in Florida. Let's hope that the team doing well, the team flourishing so far in a very odd situation with the way the season is going is going to help draw people into that stadium. Not just when we can have a few people in there, but a full stadium. Hopefully this puts butts in seats money in the register for tickets, all that kind of stuff, whatever, however you want to put it, Florida doing well, will hopefully grow the game there again and potentially keep that team in Florida. Cause if they continue with the attendance and the rate that they're going, I don't see how that's a viable franchise. I really hope that this start continues on and I hope it creates a rivalry with Tampa Bay and Carolina. Because if you can create a rivalry where all three of those teams are good, you just said it. It put asses in it puts asses in the seats, and you now have a natural uh, geographical rivalry that is great for the NHL. Tampa Bay's already doing it. If you can get Florida and Carolina there, oh man, that this would be such an economic boom for the NHL as well, and be so good for the league. So. I, I, this is, this is the story, Florida, Carolina, Tampa Bay, all being near the top of the division. Love it. Absolutely love it. Not your typical hockey markets, but they're doing great. And that's what, that's what we need. We need everyone to be doing good because that's how the league is going to get better. That's how the league is going to be financially stable. And that's what, uh, that's what we need. You kind of brought them up already with uh, only playing 16 games, but the, Dallas stars are eighth in that discover central at six, six and four. Yeah. They've only played 16 games because of the, the COVID situation. They came out hot, but man, I did not expect them to be in the basement of that division right now. Yeah. They were, what were they? Five and one coming out of the gates. And now they're yeah. six, six and four, like the wheels have fallen off. And I know, there, there was definite COVID issues with this team, and it makes you wonder if there's some lingering effects there. But not going to lie, did not see Dallas being near the bottom of that division. 
I think once they get caught up in some of those games played, they'll be battling it out with, um, well, apparently Florida and Carolina and Tampa Bay for a playoff spot. Uh, I got to believe they're better than Chicago. So I I, seriously hope they are. I seriously hope they are. I think they're still going to be there when all is said and done. But yeah, it's shocking after such a hot start. It's there's that great meme of the, uh, the the dumpster on fire going down the flooded the flooded road. That's kind of what the Dallas Stars are right now, in my opinion. So I totally agree with you on this one. They're they're a surprise, Absolutely. and I just mentioned them. The Chicago Blackhawks are another surprise to me. They're currently 11-7-4 and four in fourth place in the Central Division. I honestly thought they'd be 2-18-6 and six by now. Like, I just did not see it with this team. They're getting goaltending out of essentially nowhere. Their young stars are playing great hockey. Kudos to the Chicago Blackhawks. I'm not convinced you're going to keep it up, but they have definitely been a surprise so far. Absolutely. And another team I think you and I both thought was going to be further down in the standings, and that's Minnesota. They're yes. six in the in the Honda West. They are six games over 500 right now, and they're sitting where we, I think both you and I figure the Avs or Golden Knights would be. And right now, the Avs I think are even in fourth fourth spot with uh, St. Louis ahead of them. But again, that's a very tight division right now. Like the, those first to fourth is not separated by a lot of points. So I think we could see the uh, a rotation of who's sitting where there. But the fact that Minnesota right now is at number two. It's a bit of a surprise because I think I had them missing the playoffs. Yeah, I did. Arizona. I did too. Uh, Kirill Kaprizov has been absolutely incredible for that team. Leads the league in rookie scoring. It seems to have a highlight play every night, which it's exciting for that franchise to have a player that's kind of high octane because forever it's been known as we used to have a saying in Calgary. If it was going to be a dull game, you always referred to it as well playing the wild on a Tuesday night this team's been known forever to be kind of a, I don't want to call it a dud of a franchise, but not play the most exciting brand of hockey. It's, it's good that they have a player like this who can kind of bring the fans out of their seats and, and provide some energy because they've been sorely missing it. Uh, They were first place heading into last night's action, which is astonishing to me. Another team in that division that's playing well actually is the Los Angeles Kings who I think have won six of their last seven games. Didn't see that one coming either. I think when all is said and done, it it appears that LA and Minnesota are going to potentially fight for that. And and maybe St. Louis, because they're not playing that well. LA, Minnesota, and St. Louis are going to kind of fight for the last two playoff positions. And to me, that's a bit of a shocker because we talked about Vegas, Colorado, and St. Louis being heads and tails or heads and shoulders above everyone else in that division and it may not be like that which is quite shocking to me yeah well you already brought up uh, Kirill Kaprizov of the Minnesota Wild but there's some rookies who have come out of nowhere to uh, kind of be leading the league right now you got uh, Minnesota's Kirill uh, Kaprizov the Canucks Nils Hoaglander he uh, he's up near the top in that he's actually been one of the best Canucks all season long he's obviously made some rookie mistakes but He's, he's been a, a bright spot on that team. Uh, Norris in Ottawa, I believe yeah. it is. He's, he's been another one that's been a standout. Uh, but there's also been a couple surprising letdowns almost. And like Alexi Lafreniere has two goals on the season and has kind of been invisible. And we talked a little bit about two for chirping about these rookies are not being given an opportunity to develop. Of course, all of these guys are going to be dominant dominant players when you're going up against 16 and 17 year olds who may or may not ever see the light of day in the NHL or another game after their junior career. And that's not a slight on them. So guys, if you know, please don't take it that way. It's just some of these guys are heads and shoulders above others. So I think it is unfair to put these guys in such a high octane, high pressure situation and expect them to, to, to produce. They're not Sidney Crosby. They're not Alex Ovechkin. They're not uh, Matthews McDavid. They're not these guys. Give them an opportunity to develop, whether it's in Europe or whether it's in the AHL. Give them a chance to grow before just firing them into the, the front lines. 
Uh, another surprise I want to touch on, and this one affects both you and I with our local hockey heroes, and that's where both the Calgary Flames and Vancouver Canucks are in the standings right now. I think both of us thought that they would be legitimate fighting for playoff contention, playoff spots, kind of in that second through fifth range. The Calgary Flames are currently sitting fifth, but I know a lot of prognostications had them closer to the top of that division. And to me, the surprise for both of us with our teams is how disjointed they look on the ice many nights. And I didn't see it coming, not going to lie. I, I kind of did with Vancouver. I didn't wasn't as high on them as some people, but I, I think you have to agree with me. They've both been a, a surprise in the negative category. Well, absolutely. They're, they're fifth and sixth in the division, but they're both playing like they're tied for 10th in a, in a seven team division. So I don't get it. There's, there's a lot of things going on with both of these teams and uh, there's not a lot of time to figure it out. So I definitely surprised. I thought that the Canucks were going to come out and have a much better season this year, said it multiple times. And uh, you know, it's kind of getting old, but they had such a good playoff last year that you, you kind of, you knew there was going to be some steps not forward this year with the players that we lost, but uh, where we're sitting right now, I don't, something's, something's broken. And kind of dovetailing off of the Flames and Canucks and, and things we thought might happen with our teams, we both thought that Jeff Ward and Travis Green were potentially up for losing their jobs as, as coaching casualties. That was, they weren't the first, and the Montreal Canadiens fired uh, Julianne and, and Kirk Muller, which to me is a major surprise. I just, I, again, I don't think they made the right decision here. And if you would have had to ask me who the first coaching casualty would have been, uh, Claude Julian would not have been at the top of that list. That's for sure. His team's in a playoff spot was at the time, four games above 500 and he got fired. So didn't see that one coming. Claude Julian has been fired four times with a f above 500 record twice now by the Montreal Canadiens. But I sent you the stat. I read this one the other day and I was like, wow. The yeah. Pittsburgh Steelers since 1969 have had three head coaches. And I apologize because I can't remember the first guy, but Bill Cower and Mike Tomlin were the second and third coaches. That's it. Three coaches since 1969. The Montreal Canadiens have had 21 and some of those are recycled names because they'll fire them and then bring them back again for whatever reason you let them go the first time but you bring them back again i am not a fan of that as a uh as a fan if a team lets a coach go there's usually a reason for it so you know when the toronto blue jays brought back uh gibson i didn't like that either but or Gibbons, sorry Gibbons. um i just yeah like they've so many coaching changes they are so fickle with their like, okay, you're not doing good right now. Bye. See you later. Like a, a Montreal Canadiens coach barely has, you know, they don't even have a three year lifespan with that team. It, it's insane on average. It, in the, I told you so category, uh, Claude Julian essentially lost his job because shocker, Carey Price isn't as good as people say he is. He's playing to a 313 goals against average this year and an 888 save percentage. Uh, I do believe there was an episode uh, a few weeks back where I kind of alluded to this with Carey Price, and I hate to say it, Claude Julien lost his job because of it. He did take some responsibility for that. Now, I didn't say you were wrong. I was surprised when you said that, but you were correct. You were right. But I didn't say oh, you were wrong. Yeah. Hold on, hold on. But I didn't say you were wrong. So I will give you the credit for being right. I know, you know, it was uh, lately you've been telling me that you were wrong and I was right, and I've been sleeping very well at night with that, but uh, you were, you were correct on that one. One last major surprise. I guess it's not a major surprise, but kind of a shocking thing. And both you and I get to see this on a regular basis, how high scoring the North division is every night, every game, there's you know, five, six, seven goals scored it. Seven of the eight leading scorers in the NHL reside in the North division. And I think that's more of an indictment of having superstar players getting to play against mediocre teams, but it's making for some entertaining hockey, but it's also making for some blowouts, which 
I don't know about you there. Those aren't fun to watch. No, especially when it's not our teams doing it. So, well, it, I've been it, seeing it, my team getting blown out a lot. Yeah, it is entertaining. It is fun to watch, but yeah, hopefully we can get a little more competitive games going here. That's our last one for the day. Let us know what you think. What are some surprises in the NHL? What can be done to maybe fix a couple of the teams that are surprisingly poor that should be doing better? Let us know on Twitter at the BleacherCon1, at the BleacherCon2, or our Facebook page, the Bleacher Connection Podcast. Well, that's it for this week. Just want to throw it out there, Terry. We are working on some things. We're not going to give any way what we're doing, but we're working on some surprises for coming up in the future here. We're really excited about it. So definitely to continue to tune in, see what we got for you. We're really excited. Uh, we enjoy doing this. We enjoy having our, these conversations. Don't forget to check out Two for Chirping Friday night, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, unhingedsn.airtime.pro. That is an Unhinged Sports Network exclusive. Every Friday night's the uh, premiere episode. That's it for this week. We want to thank everyone for tuning in. Have a good week. Thanks, everyone.